0: The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd, and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Drew Gill. I would like to invite uh, James Cahall uh, to the show. And James, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining The Video Insiders. Cool. Uh, so once again, I'm James Cahal, currently the co-CEO of Otera Incorporated.
1: Uh, I've been in the OTT space now for about 10 years uh, and also the chief technical officer of another company, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit today, uh, which is Toon Goggles Incorporated, which is an on-demand entertainment service for kids.
2: Why did you feel the need with so many um, you know, OVPs around and the big uh, cloud platforms? Um, offering OTT services. Where did you feel the need to build your own OTT platform?
1: Well, I guess it, it, if we could step back and, and go to where we got into the space, uh, it might make a little bit more sense. Uh, back in 2010, we were originally content creators and uh, in the kids space, we were working on a couple cartoon series and trying to get those series onto network television in the United States and other parts of the world. And at the time, that was a very challenging thing. You know, if you think about it, you have these big networks like NBC, ABC, Fox, and a few select individuals there that are selecting content for time slots uh, that they are available in different zones uh, throughout the United States and elsewhere, uh, which meant that while there's thousands of hours uh, of new content being created every year, only a few select hours were being picked to be put on TV. So at the time, we thought, well, We've got this content that's sitting there that we're having a little bit of trouble getting on US TV. And then there's a bunch of other providers like us that are having the same problem. So, you know, we thought, well, you know, the the best thing to do would be then to start our own uh, service. And in 2010, we started TuneGoggles with the sole goal of going around the world, collecting as much kid content as possible, and getting it out to the masses. And at the time, Netflix didn't have a, uh, a children's content area. Uh, so it was really a unique proposition at, at that time. So fast forward uh, a number of years, You know, we kept building that service, uh, starting first on web, of course, uh, and then quickly expanding to all the various platforms, iOS, tvOS, Android, Android TV, Roku, web, and then all the smart TVs. And as we got into 2015, 2016, uh, we saw that there was a lot of opportunities to launch services similar to Toon but in different niche genres. And the question came to us, you know, what would we do to be able to do that quickly and affordably? Uh, the idea of starting from scratch again on every single OTT service just wouldn't be economical. You know, for Toon for example, millions of dollars were spent to build that service over a number of years and we didn't know if any of these niche services would be successful or not so between 2016 uh, a little bit later we decided to start over build everything from scratch with the sole purpose of saying how would we do this if we were going to be building an infrastructure that was designed to run 100 ott services and how would we be able to maintain those uh in in a way that didn't require a humongous team something that we could uh Uh, uh, build quickly, adapt to different services, spin up an OTT service to see if it could be successful, and if not, spin it down and move on to something else. And by 2017, we had gotten our first product uh, together and launched doTERRA and uh, have been building on that continuously since then and, and, and building out more and more OTT services today, powering 24 OTT services with over 50 million
0: users worldwide. That's amazing. Um, you know, one of the things, James, I, I really like about, you know, you and, and and the company is you guys are technologists, but you're also entrepreneurs, you know, and um, I, I think sometimes um, we see it, it's easy to get really excited about building cool things, you know, um, engineering, solving problems where, you know, and we're all technologists here. So we all get excited by that. But at the end of the day, you um, you know, there, there has to be kind of a business behind it. And and the fact that you're powering 50 million viewers, you know, in other words, there's like a real business behind this. And it was even built off the I don't want to say the back more like the foundation of Toon Goggles, which, um, you know, Toon Goggles, I think you glossed over this, but wasn't Toon Goggles really one of the first AVOD offerings, you know, kind of the freemium uh, offerings in the OTT space?
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I think that's what you're you sort of touching on on the business side. You know, when we entered this space, the model was uh, Netflix had a Svod solution, Hulu had a free solution with advertising, mm-hmm. and then U- YouTube existed, and that was it. There really wasn't anything else at the time, uh, and so we originally launched with a X number of free episodes of shows, and then everything else was behind a paywall. We quickly learned that that did not work for the kids' space. You know, kids don't have credit cards, yeah. you know, as, as you know. <laughs> most and, of them uh, yeah, don't. Most do of them, yeah. yeah. And, Some and have access so
2: to their parents' credit cards and spend hundreds of dollars in games, but most of them <laughs> don't. might. Yeah,
1: you, you, yeah. you must know my daughter. So. That never happens in <laughs> my household. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but, but so, you know, uh, Stephen Hodge and our team quickly saw that... Uh, uh, we had to enter the avod space it just it wasn't going to be a, a winning proposition if we didn't and uh, I, I believe uh, we entered the avod space in 2012 and we haven't looked back so the the the, the model you know has been ever since uh, free with advertising the ability to upgrade with a subscription so we call it freemium and that model we found has been, you know, extremely successful uh, for niche services. There, there, there has been uh, a number of other uh, companies that have tried to launch SVOD services over the years in competition with Netflix and others. And the idea of launching a brand that's not very well known doesn't necessarily have a huge content library strictly as SFOD, just hasn't proven to be successful there's been o- only a few very select companies like
0: crunchyroll have have been successful in that space sure and that's because their content is so specific and and so niche right you know and and also you know crunchyroll they haven't tried to expand beyond a- anime and, you know, I think too many people, they, you know, they kind of get a little taste of maybe success and then feel like, oh, well, if we offer, you know, this genre and that genre and, you know, and it usually doesn't end well, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, I, I I very much applaud
1: uh, the Crunchyroll folks for what they're doing because yeah. they, they that tendency to want to say, oh, we want, we're we going to become the one size fits all. Then all of a sudden you, you don't become one. You don't fit anything. And, yeah. And right right, right now they've really fit that anime market and in my mind you know the the world is looking at this as the ott space is netflix disney plus amazon and hulu and that's it and that's just looking at it from a perspective of the only successful companies are the companies worth 20 50 billion dollars uh, but you have these other companies like Crunchyroll. I don't know their exact valuation right now, but let's just say there's these companies like Crunchyroll that are $100 million companies, $200 million companies. Is that still a successful company? In my mind, very much so.
0: Well, so walk us through the components, you know, the parts of your platform and, uh, you know, tell us tell us what's there. Yeah. So OTT
1: is really interesting because it's it's got a lot of moving pieces, uh, maybe more so than most uh, uh most applications or things that you might see on phones or TVs uh, at, at the heart of it, uh, obviously is, is, is video. And uh, there's a big, one of the big pieces of that is content ingest and delivery. Uh, so the typical thing is we start with some high bitrate mezzanine file, go through some transcoding process, uh, package those up into different uh, uh, adaptive bitrate rate uh, delivery methods such as HTTP live streaming, MPEG dash, smooth stream, Uh, apply any security that's necessary. So things like Apple Fairplay, uh, PlayReady, Widevine Modular, and then put these out on the CDN for for delivery, often with even advanced things like tokenized CDN and everything for additional security measures. Uh, Apart from the content uh, ingest, uh, we build our own content management system. This is where we hold uh, references to the content and metadata the users that will be using the service, uh, along with any permissions and, and different things like that. Uh, the analytics system that we have to track the daily usage of everything. Commerce, if subscription is involved. Uh, the ability to uh, manage advertising and doing any targeting or, or uh, uh, putting specific ads on different platforms. And then, of course, other things like reporting, A-B testing, uh, anything under the sun. So it's sort of the central place where, where our, our clients uh, and ourselves, operating our own services, uh, go in and manage everything on a day-to-day basis. So that, from, from that side, that's sort of the content exists, it sits somewhere, we can configure it uh, but then, of course, there's the the how does that get out to the end user, and that's where we develop native applications for all the various platforms. So, again, iOS, TVOS, Android, Android TV, Roku, all the smart TVs, including Tizen, WebOS, uh, everything else, and a, and a web web player. So, those those sort of centralize the the core features that we build, and then um, once we have those, then we just determine you know the The typical thought about an OTT service is, it's the applications that people consume like Netflix, but there really is a much bigger scope to it. You know, the content gets distributed to third parties, uh, things like the Roku channel, uh, some content gets put into linear streams to go out to things like Samsung TV plus, LG channels plus. And then we do various deep integrations with search and things like that on different TV platforms. So there's a lot of, a lot of ancillary pieces that go into making a successful service versus just building a functional service. You know, I, I came personally um, before I got into the OTT space. I actually had a bachelor's and master's degree in aerospace and worked for Lockheed Martin for for seven years. And that was a company with 100,000 employees. Uh, and, you know, it seemed like whatever you wanted to do, you could do because there was always resources and money for it. Uh, but there was a lot of waste and bloat. And so when we started uh, uh, the companies that we made, we looked at it from a standpoint of, what can we do with the minimum amount of resources to get the maximum impact? And and so everything has always been designed from the idea of keep things as simple as possible, keep things as modular and uh, uh, scriptable as possible, so that we can build things quickly. And whenever there's a change, we can make a change in one place and have it impact uh, all the various platforms and run the same testing tools on everything to make sure everything stays stable.
0: James, do you mostly have uh, entertainment services on your platform or, you know, is it, um, you know, educators or houses of worship or, you know, what kinds of users, customers do you have? So typically for us, uh, we've been sort of in that middle
1: pack where we're not necessarily dealing too much with the really small players or the really, really big players. Uh, Most of the services we power are content creators that own uh, hundreds of hours of uh, content, and they've may in the past have distributed to dvd uh direct sales or they or to netflix and amazon even or to cable and they are now looking to you know distribute directly to consumers because of things like demonetization or netflix creating their own content or whatever um and so typically for us that's been the content creators with that said the technologies that we create uh really don't care what the content is. So, uh, so, so we, we have had discussions with some educational institutions uh, and, and even large corporations could potentially utilize their own quote unquote OTT service. That's more of, you know, for the purposes of distributing content internally in, in a corporate structure. So uh, we do have one of our clients that, that does do uh, some kind of video distribution for corporations as part of their uh, nonprofit and and donation type organizations and and that has actually been a pretty good tool but but for the most part yeah definitely on the content creator side today
2: can you give us some example of somebody who's uh, using the platform today and and how they use it
1: well so uh, uh, of course Toon goggles but uh, uh, to give another example one of our uh, favorite clients right now is a as a client called drink tv uh it's a service that's strictly focused on content centered around beer wine and and spirits uh so it's a really cool service uh, that uh it was started in partnership with some of the guys from uh, brew dog who's a a brewery out i believe in the uk and um it's got a, a it originally started as an SPOD service on another uh platform and they had that, that scenario that I was discussing earlier, which was they have this niche, uh, it's unique, and there are obviously people that are interested in it, but the brand is just not well-known enough, and they weren't having the, the success that they wanted on the SVOD side. Uh, modest, but not not great. So they came to us saying, look, we, we need an AVOD solution uh, that also supports SVOD, And we had a perfect fit for that. And that was where we could, uh, go in, rebuild their services onto our infrastructure. Uh, and now they've been able to launch, uh, with a much larger, larger audience and getting more usage. And, uh, uh, it's really been a success story for them, especially on the smart TV side because previously they were only able to target, uh, mobile phones and, and a few select TV devices, uh, But we've seen typically that, you know, 60 plus percent of the
0: usage on OTT is on smart TVs, which often gets neglected. Most of your users, have they come from, you know, homebrew platforms that they kind of cobbled together themselves? Or did they come off, you know, other alternative big OVPs where, you know, the costs were just, you know, kind of too much or, you know, there's too much functionality or, you know, whatever. Where do they come from? Right. So we have a
1: we have a little bit of a mix, uh, which which I'm not surprised, but we we have, you know, say Tomb Goggles, which was a, its own homebrew thing that we've rebuilt. Right. Uh, then we
0: and now it's far from homebrew. Right. Yeah. The way. Yeah. At this, at this <laughs> point. Right.
1: So so th- and then we have some other providers like Drink TV that were on some other OTT solutions that were they just didn't meet all the needs that they had. Uh, then we have a couple that were coming from some platforms that. I, I guess my, my thought is that they didn't really understand the OTT market. They understood technology, but they didn't understand the idea of how to operate a service, which is things like revenue reporting, uh, rights and management, all these other things that just don't seem like a technical issue. Uh, they they were not able to fulfill those. And some of those actually went out of business. So we had clients coming to us that were sort of scrambling for uh, for help. Uh, but But I would say that at least... At least fifty percent, if not more, of our clients just came pure word of mouth through uh, us being known in the industry as content creators and technologists. So, so you provide them with the technology, but do you also
2: provide them with the monetization channels? Do you bring the ads, or do they have to go in and sell their content? And uh...
1: so, so that's actually an interesting situation as well. So, I mean, originally our plan was we're not getting involved in that portion, right? We'll, we'll let them, we'll, we'll, we'll provide them the tools to hook up with the SFOD side. So authorize Stripe, Braintree, whatever it may be, uh, integrating with the app purchase and billing, uh, and then on the advertising side, we'd provide them a way to put vast tags in our system and utilize their, their ad servers, wh- whatever they want. We wanted it to be as agnostic as possible. Uh, after a, a couple years of operating that, we realized that the issue is is um, the S side not so much of a problem, but on the AVOD side, there's sort of a chicken and egg problem where you launch a service, and while you would think that people want to advertise everywhere, and advertising should be available to everybody with no no issues with fill or or rates or anything like that. It's been a major problem over the years uh, it, in the kids space, especially with COPA and uh, restricted ad placements. We, we, we yeah, we, we, we had a large uh, a number of years where it's very, very hard to find good advertising. Um, the way that we were able to get through that was to grow. And, and it's the same thing with every service is that the more usage you get, the more your brand gets made aware of in the advertising industry and the more that they're willing to send ads your way. So the chicken and the egg is you launch a service and it has no users. How do you get advertising to fill because you're requesting 10 ads per day or something like that? Right. It's just it just won't be successful. So so we had to do several things to really combat that. I mean, one was we worked with all of our TV partners. T- today, we partner with over uh, 30 major brands worldwide where we get applications pre-installed on those TVs for our clients, Um uh, but at the same time, that while that will get new traffic to, to to those partners, we now work as a, uh, a higher level ad network where we can uh, sell on behalf of all of our brands uh, together or individually. But the idea is that when we take all of the traffic running through all of our services in bulk, then now we have this critical mass of advertising requests that then get higher advertising fills. So now today... We do operate our own ad servers and supply advertising to clients uh, that ask for it.
0: Let's dive into the technologies that you use to build the platform. So you know tell us about the choices you made and maybe you can give some insights into why um, you chose you know some of those technologies Well I think
1: uh, uh, right right off the bat you know the uh, one of the most important choices we made early on was that we wanted to, Find a CMS that was going to have strong security, a, a, a good community to to help support it over time, so that we wouldn't have to focus our time on creating a stylized CMS that was uh, partially functional and not very secure. So we we did choose to work with Drupal early on. Uh, so this is to you know if you're not, if the community's not too familiar with Drupal, it's probably the most uh, professional of the off-the-shelf CMSs like WordPress, Joomla, and, and others, uh, and, and that's that's been really great for us because it's what while our CMS is mainly for the purpose of just the administrators to have an easy way to uh, control data uh, or the data structures themselves are all completely decoupled from from Drupal and the APIs and such. But uh, it, it does create a familiar environment and allows us to leverage uh, the work of thousands, if not tens of thousands of uh, uh, developers worldwide that have spent a lot of time on uh, very nice uh, plugins for various things. So things like the idea of saying, uh, we support Authors at Net, you know, Stripe and Braintree for subscriptions. Somebody comes along and says, I want to use uh, Recurly or some other service. Uh, Because there are community plugins that are created for these types of services, it's easy for us to drop that in and move on, right? So it's 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 been great to be able to have this plug and play flexibility uh, um, without sacrificing scalability, security, and other things like that. Uh, In front of that, we have our our APIs we've created. the the first pass on this we did with Tune Goggles back in 2010 was all uh, a PHP based infrastructure, uh, and when we rebuilt this, you know, at the time the hottest thing on the street was Node.js, uh, and this was in the the 15 16 timeframe, and so so we 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 took that to heart, and and everything's been built on Node.js, and uh, has has been one of the best choices we've ever made. I mean, we've had. Uh, response times in our API that have consistently stayed under 50 milliseconds, uh, which, you know, for us has, has been critical. I mean, imagine um, launching an OTT service and it taking four to five seconds for things to show up. You know, uh, the the unfortunate thing is Netflix has set such a high bar uh, in the industry that if your service does not operate like a $50 billion company, then, <laughs> then you're nobody wants to use it. And there isn't this idea that, that, that you can just have a service that works, but not super well. And you go, well, accept it. I mean, you're getting a service from a company that's a $5 million company. Yeah,
2: you're getting it for free. And, and you have, and you have great content. And yeah, so watch it. But uh, you know, users are saying, yeah, but I do like that uh, Netflix style experience. And I want everything fast, right? And, uh,
1: so so that's, that's, uh, we've been very fortunate to think from the beginning of Everything we build, it has to have optimal performance. And before we release anything, we make sure that any new feature isn't going to impact that. So uh, Node.js has been beautiful for that. Um, Utilizing that with a a lot of the API is actually being backed by the CloudFront CDN. So uh, very little is actually having to hit some of the central processing on a regular basis. It's allowed us to scale to 50 million users with you know a, a modest amount of resources to do so. Uh, with that, we 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 run everything on uh, Amazon Web Services uh, with with different services running on boxes on EC2, utilizing Elastic Beanstalk and Elasticsearch. Search. Uh, Elastic Search has been a, a very central component for us for um, everything in our system from a content standpoint, being search search and uh, uh, indexing based uh, it's been really really great for for growth and performance and uh, f- also for advanced things like recommendation engines and and some of the artificial intelligence associated with those to get the best uh, content for the users
2: so that's on the back end side and what are you using uh, on the uh, user facing um, side the players the clients
1: so on the the user facing side, we decided early on that we were going to stay native for everything. Um, you know, I I don't I don't know if, I think the original decision on this was because I just had a pet peeve against these crop platform platform solutions. It was just one of these things where I felt like. Yes, we could save money and time by using a cross-platform solution. But every time that I'd had an experience with that, you know, with some early, I did some early work uh, at some point with Cocos 2D doing some cross-platform gaming. And the story was always, I've got this thing that I want to do. And the, the, the community is like, we're working on that. We plan to add that feature in the new future. And it would be months if not years before something would be supported or if there was a bug it would just wouldn't work on one platform and they say that's a limitation and you know frankly that just wasn't acceptable f- acceptable for us like we wanted to have optimal performance on every platform and so the choice was we build everything uh native on every platform and yes that took a lot of time and a lot of uh, uh detail but in, in the long run that's chose, you know proven to be optimal performance and, and much better solutions because we can do anything we want on those and that's you know leveraging things like opengl uh, on the lower level to do uh advanced player uh techniques and and uh you know specifically the player itself, we've done tons of customization. And while there are some really good HTML5 players out there that have, that work fairly well cross-platform, you know, with our player, we've been able to do things like uh, 360 video where you can you know, put your phone up and move it around and see different scenes, uh, swiping on the screen to manually move it around. Uh, more advanced things like 4K, HDR, uh, Dolby Vision, and then even things down even deeper than that, like interactive video. So the idea that we have a, a, a scene where we can uh, potentially add filters to change objects in the video themselves, uh, add overlays that allow interactive things like touching, uh, quote unquote, choose your own story. Can't say the other word, you know, <laughs> from a legal standpoint. But uh, that that uh, that kind of idea where you can start in. Uh, one scene and pick what the next scene is going to be and move around. Um, all these things wouldn't be capable with
0: with a normal off the, the shelf uh, cross platform player. That's really smart. So how many individual players do you have to maintain? I mean, uh, you know, each connected television, uh, at least manufacturer, has their own their own variations. So what does that look like for you?
2: Basically, on, on the platform side, do you see more fragmentation or more consolidation recently?
1: Well, I, I think the so so to answer that second question first, the I think that the OVPs and the some of the the large uh, players that create these players, like JW Player, Kaltura, and, and others, uh, they see it as a consolidation. Uh, and I think for many players that have uh, certain sort of strict goals they're in a little box that works just fine uh for for us we see it as it's really important to have the best experience on every platform and that's why we need to have the different players yeah you have to yeah. own that Absolutely. so 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 to mark to answer your question the um, currently we have custom players for each of the major platforms. So you know, like iOS versus Android versus Roku and whatever. Uh, But specifically on the HTML5 side, which is powering most of the, uh, these are powering smart TVs, set-top boxes, like cable boxes uh, running on uh, the RDK uh, middleware stuff. Uh, And then also things like cars or uh, experiences on planes. Um, These have many different variations for the players. So I mean, if you if you look at the smart TVs, every single one of them has a different configuration. So you have some TVs running on Opera, some running on uh, WebKit, some Chromium, some SPL, uh, you name it. There's there's eight or nine different browsers, and then each of those browsers have different capabilities, whether they support HLS, MPEG Dash, SmoothStream, Progressive Only, 4K, you know, whatever. And so each of these uh, is different. And so we had to do customizations, and to be honest, that's been the most lengthy uh, out of all of these because it means having one of these TVs in the office from thirty different brands, continuously, continuously doing testing on these and making sure that they're all working.
2: So it seems like a really big task. Uh, how big is the development team that is
1: running all of that? Well, we have a pretty, pretty small team, uh, and like I said before, you know, we planned this to say. How can we continue to build more and more things and then go to more places without having to add more resources? And and part of that has been the idea of scripting as much as possible, creating automated tests as much as possible, and utilizing uh, similar code. Uh, so so one of the things that we chose early on that was from an architecture standpoint was we said, well, so my background originally for the most part was in. Uh, Objective C, and so I have a little bit of a bias on the whole modal view controller uh, uh, design paradigm. Uh, so we said, well, how can we take that style of code and functionality and port it to all the other platforms? And so, if you lo- if you were to look at our HTML5 code, it, it is almost identical line per line, except for the syntax of Objective C versus JavaScript. And this was for the sole purpose of saying, if I make a change on iOS and tvOS, I want to know go go back over to HTML5 and be able to make that change just by basically taking that code and putting it into a, a, a script that changes everything and then do some touch up after some testing. Um, while we haven't been able to do that on every platform, that's something that makes a uh, the the support of these various platforms easier and ensures that we don't introduce bugs that require you know extensive testing. We do uh outsource some of our QA where we can send some testing over to uh various parts of the world, such as in the Ukraine, that can that can test things uh, where you have a larger team with a hundred different devices and things like that. That that helps us keep costs down. Uh, but for the most part, we just try to make sure that we build things that are maintainable by a small team.
2: Mm, that's very interesting, I think uh this kind of development methodology, where inherently you're trying to simplify things as much as possible, and uh, and make them scripted and all of that automation, in order to keep the size of the team down and, and the cost down. That that's uh, quite interesting.
0: What is your like kind of number one focus? You know, when it comes to um, you know, what has to work.
1: The video side of things, interestingly, while it does seem pretty complex, and I'm sure a lot of the speakers that you've had in the past, uh, they've talked about all the idiosyncrasies of transcoding and everything. It is not an easy task. But the beauty is that that side of the industry has been tackled so well by so many smart people that in our mind, that problem has been mostly solved. Right? So there's The the adaptive bitrate streaming works really well. There's lots of different flavors that the players can switch to to ensure good streaming across all uh, situations. The CDN providers like Akamai and others have done such a great job of creating the edge. Content gets there quickly and works really well. For us, the the critical thing for us is just a stable functional API. our applications themselves are designed to be fairly dumb, quote unquote, right? So the, the apps are, have these controllers that basically they say, I can build a view that looks like this. I can build a row. I can build a screen. I can build the objects that go on that screen. They can do certain things from playing video to doing interactive books and games to recording to whatever it may be. Uh, but all of that is completely API-driven. So when I launch the application, there may be some things that are, that are baked into it, such as uh, artwork and colors and fonts, but everything else is completely said. The server says, this is the section that I want to show. These are the rows. Uh, these are the screens for informational things. These are the forms for login, contact, whatever. Uh, if the API is not functional then the application doesn't know what to show or, or, or whatever So for us that's extremely critical to always be responsive always have the right configuration and 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 always ensure that uh, it's getting the content to the users that they' they're expecting. So the
2: applications are configurable to the level that uh, even without updating the application software you can completely change um, the look of the screens and, and things that are displayed.
1: Absolutely, yeah, so so just to give you an example, uh, we could have one service that you know they launch it, it's out in the public, it's in people's hands, and it looks just like Netflix. But then they come to us and say, "You know, I'd love to add linear capabilities to my application, uh, meaning like the VMVPD like Pluto kind of style. We can just change uh, a few settings server side, and now, when you launch the application, there's a linear player playing immediately upon launch at the top. You can select different channels of linear streams, and now you can watch linear alongside your VOD. Um, so there's no updates needed for that. And and one of the main reasons for, for this architecture and trying to make it so flexible, apart from the idea that we love flexibility, is the the lessons we learned from Toon Goggles over the years. Uh, Toon Goggles as a service had a lot of success because of pre-installs on android tablets and as we all know especially in the early days of android there was tons of fragmentation um there was no central company like apple creating all of the different devices and so we would get the apks pre-installed on these kids tablets worldwide i think we were on like 10 million tablets at some point wow these these uh Uh, we'd launch an application, there'd be a change or a bug or some feature we wanted to add. And we would try to get these APK updates out to the device manufacturers and it just wouldn't happen. Right. We'd give, we'd give them the APK. They'd say, Oh, we'll try to do an over the air update. Or they'd say, well, no, the device has to be, has, uh, has to have an OS update to get an update. And so we had uh, users running on version three while the rest of the service is on version 10, mm. and which meant that the, there's this fragmented experience across everything. And so when we re-architected, built everything from scratch, uh, we said, everything is gonna be dumb. It's just gonna tell, do exactly what the server tells it to do. And uh, in effect, we get the benefits of what people see in these cross-platform uh, architectures, like HTML5 used for everything. We get the benefits of that without Getting the negative of the poor performance that you'd have because with, you still uh, have native solution. applications. So they're still native. All of the functional aspects are native, but the 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 data that drives the
0: layouts and the functionality are all uh, API driven. So you know, James, as the public clouds are expanding their service offerings, you know, and I'm thinking of um, you know Google Cloud, AWS, you know, Azure. Um, It's, uh, you know, it's it's becoming more possible today for a video distributor who wants to kind of, um, you know, it's it's kind of build your own. It's almost like Lego blocks, you know, go to one of these clouds and, you know, they generally have a transcoding service and they've got, you know, a CDN. And, you know, they have um, often most of maybe not all, but most of the building blocks and, you know, they can kind of assemble their own. What do you think that means for the OVP business? And I guess you know, I'll even ask. Kind of a the first question is: Do you guys even consider yourself like an online video platform, or, or you know, do you see yourself as as having transcended that in some way?
1: You you could consider us an OVP platform. Uh, I think we like to consider us consider ourselves more of like a white glove platform where uh, we we don't see it as. Just building the technology, because I think, you know, part of the 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 issue, the the, the idea of the video distributor bypassing the OVP, I don't see that as a very likely scenario for a lot of the population because they just aren't technologists and. The, this idea of bypassing the OVP and utilizing services from AWS, like AWS has great services like MediaTailor and and Media Live Encoder and different things, where they there there are tools that smart people can use to build uh, really cool things. Uh, but frankly, the 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 video distributors, that's not their wheelhouse, right? They're they're great at creating content. They're great at telling a story. But they're not great at creating technologies. There are the select few HBO, you know, companies like that in general that that clearly they 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 know the right things to do. They have a big budget. They hire internal teams, and that works. Um, and then there are are things like uh, uh, educational institutions where they have an IT department, and so that's I see those as the ones that are going to be distributing video through OVPs or or bypassing them and things like that. But but our space is really. The uh, the content producers that that's not what they want to focus on. They want to have a thing that they can go to where it works. Uh, it has very uh, low level of technology understanding required to run it, and uh, you know totally outside of the technology side, you cannot be successful in the OTT space without relationships. And uh, I I feel like that's really where our bread and butter sits, and why I call it a white Glove, you know, service and the idea that we build the OTT service, we help you with the monetization like we, we mentioned before. Uh, but apart from that, we also help with the distribution. And that's that's really, I think, the the, the critical piece is, you know, if you build uh, an application for iOS and Android, it goes on to the, the iTunes store on Google Play. Uh, if you just do that and do absolutely nothing else, you might get 10 installs a day. And that's, that's not going to drive success in a service. O- on the flip side, you know, if you're able to get pre-installed on thousands of models of smart TVs worldwide, if you're able to uh, get put into the deep search integrations on Roku and uh, all the smart TVs and other places, then you start having, quote unquote, free discoverability. And now you're driving... Thousand, two thousand, three thousand new installs a day, and with no marketing spent on that, and that's where you can actually grow a service uh, from scratch as a niche, right? You, you obviously, if you throw twenty million dollars into marketing, you can, do, you, know, this, the, you know, the you know the limits, you know, anything you can come up with. But for for most of these companies, they're skeptical. They they don't know if OTT is the right thing for them. They don't know all the different options that that they're ha- that are out there. And, you know, for us, it's about we've built relationships over 10 years, you know, to support our own services and now the services of others. And th- those are what's most important. And and no technology bypass is ever going to fix that. And there's nothing like sitting down at dinner with the, you know, CTO of Samsung and, and, and having a discussion about what's the future of the technologies and what can we do to help them.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that's uh that's really, you know, you, you made some excellent points about why uh a service um, uh, like you are offering is um is needed in the market. And and you also talked about the future. So, um wh- where do you see are the biggest opportunities um for your customers because right now we're kind of at at the cross point where uh um over the top content is is being by, is is bypassing the broadcast and the pay TV uh, and everybody's going direct to consumer. So what are some of the opportunities that they can uh, take advantage of?
1: Yeah, that's a good point uh, I, I think if you look back at 2010 when we got into this, there was pay TV and then there was an SVOD opportunity with Netflix basically, you know uh, not to discredit any smaller companies at the time as, as you started moving forward, I remember sitting in a, um, uh, uh, variety conference back in like 2012 or 13 and hearing, uh, one of the execs of, uh, a major cable network, which I won't name just for respect, but, uh, staying, everything is good. Nothing needs to change. The industry is wonderful. And, you know, obviously seven years later, that person was, totally wrong and with the 6.2 million expected to leave pay tv this year uh that's that's been very clear and so the 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 tvod everywhere opportunities the uh or so the tv everywhere opportunities and the tvod opportunities that that were pretty popular for a period of time such as voodoo and others those are starting to decline uh the svod space is very I think controlled at this point by the large players, and getting uh, and getting and, and
2: crowded by more large players entering.
1: Exactly, yeah. And so I think, uh, at least if you're if you're in the general content market, uh, saying we have content for everyone, that SVOD general content market is is locked. I think if you unless you're going to enter with a 50 billion dollar budget or whatever it is that Disney Plus has said they're launching with, you know, it's you don't have a chance in that space. So for for us, we see the, the biggest opportunities in the uh, freemium space with ad supported models, with uh, possibly subscriptions to remove advertising or reduce advertising, uh, I think. Uh, Peacock is probably a good example of of somebody going into that space, and and I think we'll have some some success with that. Again, they're sort of a all all content size, you know, thing. So we'll see how successful they are. But for the niches that that definitely that freemium model is going to be important. But past I think where we are today, um, to be successful in OTT, I think we need to shift to a more uh, full scope, 360 experience community uh, environment. Because t- today, uh, Netflix, the king of OTT, is really a lean back experience. There's nothing special about it necessarily. Just good content and it works. Um, what, we, what we are seeing today, which is a little bit different, is some of the players entering like Pluto and Stir and, and Samsung TV+, Plus, where they're taking a lot of the traditional style of... VMVPD uh that, that we have, you know, cable and satellite and such, where you have channels and the EPG guide. And they're, they're flipping that on its head and saying, well, we're going to offer you that same experience, but completely free. Uh, so completely ad supported, completely free. And Pluto, I think today is the sort of the leading player in that space. Uh, but, you know, the, the next step is to say, OK, well, we have everything we learned from AVOD and freemium. We have everything that we're now learning from the VMVPDs. What can we do to merge those together? And so we've we've built technologies now that where we have uh, a VMVPD capability, so that we can stream content linearly immediately. Uh, this allows our clients to monetize right away. It gets users into content right away, uh, and we see it as a very good discovery tool to allow you to find uh, other content that you may want to binge later in a VOD scenario. Uh, So, for instance, if you turn it on and you see you drop into Episode 6 of Season 4 of Game of Thrones, uh, and somehow you've been living under a rock and never seen Game of Thrones before, you're going to say, well, where's the rest of that? Where can I go and watch it all? And, you know, the Pluto experience today doesn't really lend to that. And and so we see a, a big future in saying, let's let people watch how, when, where they want. And so we'll give them opportunities to explore content when they just want to lean back, but then when they want to dive in and, and go more into it, they can.
2: And they can do that so, directly from the linear channel.
1: Right, so they can go from the linear channels and then within the same applications, dive into the VOD and, and find associated content, find recommendations. And, and ultimately we see this as a way to drive more and more usage within applications. So uh, apart, though, from from just the VOD experience, I think what these OTT services are lacking today is that that full community, which is the idea of saying you come here for, for video, but we can also move the social network into that experience. We can have podcasts in that experience. We can have blogs in that experience. And so uh I, I liken this sort of to the old uh, BBS, if if you know, I guess it shows my age a little bit, but the <laughs> B, 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 BBS forums back in the, the 90s uh, where they had these great ex- uh, communities centered around, say, the gearheads, people into cars or or whatever. And, you know, for, for the really niche services we have, like the drink TV one that I that I mentioned, like. I don't just want to watch that content. I want to go in and talk about what was my favorite beer that I had this week or uh, what I was homebrewing and I was trying to make this recipe like having a discussion about it. Right. Um, Why why not have that in the same experience um, that uh, uh, that I'm watching my content in and then have discussions about that content? And so I think that's a piece that's really lacking in the industry. We're moving forward with that. Uh, and, and we see that as a big opportunity in the future.
2: That, that's really interesting. So in, instead of, uh, uh, you know, let's say I'm watching a piece of content or I'm watching this Drink TV channel. So instead of going to Facebook and finding their Facebook group or going on the, on the web and finding their forum, I have everything inside the, that player experience, inside the app so I can access all the different aspects. And, and as you said, really create a community around the content with, with all the interactive features that are expected from the community, such as a social network or podcast or blog, and, and get this uh, holistic experience within the app. I think that's, uh, that's really amazing. I think it's, it's a great vision.
1: And I, and I think there's really two reasons for that. Uh, one is what we've seen with Facebook, Over the last couple of years, Uh, and I guess it's probably not that new, but they're changing their algorithms regularly. And so you have these companies that have a Facebook page that has 10 million followers, but they make a post and it's only getting to 5000 of those 10 million followers. Or maybe it's something bigger than that, but it's a very small percentage. Right. And, and, And so if you want to reach all of your followers now, you have to pay to reach your followers. So. It, it just that that's just another cycle. I, I understand that that's Facebook's business model and they need that to survive. But for for these companies, like if they can bring their their discussions into their own ecosystem, they now, you know, quote unquote, own those users and they can help provide an experience that's really tailored to that. You know, there there's this concept that I don't totally agree with that's happening today, which is what Apple TV is doing uh, it's it's what some other companies are doing and they're calling it like the super aggregator that's trying to take content from all these different services and put it in one place so that you know users don't have to go to different applications to consume content. Well, while I understand that from a conceptual standpoint of, yes, that's sort of a nice thing to have, what it ends up doing is doing the same thing that Netflix has been doing uh, all along, which is, I have an experience that has everything under the sun, but I go there and I often don't find anything that I want uh, because there's just so much to choose from so many different varieties. I mean, I I love Netflix. It's, it's one of my favorite services, but sometimes I go there and I just have so many choices. I have this paralysis of trying to choose what I want to watch. You get lost, right? So, but for, for the, for the things when I'm really in the mood for a specific topic, uh, I'm big into documentaries, things like that. I want to go somewhere where I can just find purely documentaries. I want it to suggest things based upon my micro-targeted uh, reasoning of like, I like documentaries that are period piece documentaries, right? And so it shows me stuff based upon that, not just necessarily a bunch of other fluff. And that's just – it's going to – as much as it is annoying to maybe go to a different experience every time that you want to have something different – having that targeted experience, I think is really, really valuable.
0: Well, James, uh, this has been a fabulous interview. Thank you for coming on and sharing, uh, you know, the, the story, um, you know, your journey, the insights, and we wish you the, you know, the best of success as uh, it's really amazing what you guys have built. And uh, we're going to be watching you closely. So thanks again for coming on the Video Insiders. Thanks
1: uh, so much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. And I uh, uh, ho- hoped that we had some valuable uh, things to lead to the uh, community here.
2: Definitely. It was very valuable. Uh, a lot of insights. Uh, personally, I got out of this interview. So thanks again, James. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners. And we'll see you in the next episode of The Video Insiders. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders
0: Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no cost HEVC and H264 transcoding every month.